We are in the midst of a series on the book of Daniel. I like the book of Daniel because Daniel helps me understand how to keep my head in a world that's gone mad. Is your world mad? I bet it is. If you live in this world, it's mad. We're taping this on the Thursday after the election. Things are crazy. Things are chaotic, and to be honest, things have been chaotic for a long, long time. I want you to just think about the chaos that you're surrounded by, the confusion, the anxiety, the anger, the, how you're being drawn off sides in the midst of everything, the unkindness, the division. We're all seeing the worst in each other, unsure where to put our trust. It doesn't matter how you voted. We are in the midst of a world gone mad. And we're gonna turn to these scriptures to try to draw some precepts out of Daniel's life to understand how we can live a life in the midst of all of this. Now, why in the world are we reading a story that happened almost 2,600 years ago? Well, Paul writes in the book of Romans, chapter 15, he writes this, everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Do you need a little hope today? I bet you do. We're gonna find some hope in these scriptures. We're gonna find hope in Daniel's life. Well, Ron helped set the stage last week in Daniel 1. Let's recap a little bit about the, what's going on in the world with Daniel. So the nation of Israel has been taken captive by the Babylonians. And when they took them captive, not only did they besiege Jerusalem, they took the best guys out of Jerusalem and brought them into bondage. And so it says some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men, these were the best of the best, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. This was Daniel and his buddies Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, okay, they got taken into captivity. They're meant to serve the king. The king's name was Nebuchadnezzar. Well, what's the problem? Where's the conflict? There's no story without some conflict. And the conflict is this. There is a collision of worldviews. There is the collision of the worldview of Daniel and his buddies who are following after Yahweh, following after Jehovah, following after the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. They're, he wants to follow that God, and yet he is taken into Babylon that has no regard for that God, no interest in that God. They're following other gods. They're following these gods, Nebu and Aku and Bel. He's following after something different. And so there is a collision of worldviews. Worldview is how you look at the world. It's the lens through which you see the world. Daniel had the Jehovah God worldview and Nebuchadnezzar the king and his crew in Babylon had the worldview of these other gods, these pagan gods. Now that's Daniel's setup. Let's see if we can see ourselves in that same setup. Let's set the stage for our world. Biblically, the idea of Babylon consistently, it's consistently used to describe our world the world we live in, a world set against God. And we, like Daniel, are living in Babylon and trying to find out how in the world do we live in the midst of these colliding worldviews. 
Now, you may look around your world and go, this isn't that bad. This is Babylon. It's got pretty good skiing, nice restaurants. I feel a certain amount of freedom. Fair enough. But there is something bigger going on, something bigger within the culture, really, that is set against us following after God. Now, when I say culture, I want you to think of a big stew of a bunch of different things. It's not just entertainment or what's on social media, although that's a big part of it. It's the way we think about things. It's the way we look at the world. It includes government. It includes our leaders. It includes all sorts of different things. That's the culture. And the culture right now, the culture, all of those things I just mentioned are moving further and further away from God, from following after God. And as I I've studied this this week, by the way, I wanna promote a book real quick that uh, I love. It's called How Should We Then Live by Francis Schaeffer. It's a classic book and it describes the flow and the flow of history and the flow of philosophy and how we've gotten to where we are today and where he says we end up is humanism. And that's the world we live in today. Our culture is steeped in humanism. What's humanism? Humanism is the firm belief that we humans can figure it out. If we put our minds to it, if we put our hearts to it, if we put our passion to it, we can solve any problem. And we can create this progress over time if we just buckle down and get it right. It's a belief in the power of humans. Now, what's the problem with that? It puts humans as the authority and not God as the authority. And where there is conflict, our world today says, God, no thanks, no thanks. Now, where God seems to undergird and underline the path of progress, humans' progress, we go, great, okay, God, you can come along. But where there is conflict, where humanism looks at the scriptures and goes, that's not how I would do it, we go, we'll cut that out. We'll cut that out. We'll cut that out. And so we today, here in 2020, we are Jesus followers living in the midst of a culture that is increasingly moving away from the God of the Bible. And so like Daniel, we are living somewhere that is to some degree unfamiliar territory for us. So how do we handle this? What do we do? How can we look at Daniel? I'm gonna tell you six things we can learn about ourselves from the book of Daniel. Number one is this, we are strangers. We are strangers. We have to see ourselves as strangers in this land. Daniel saw himself not as, hey, Babylon, all right, this is my spot. Daniel saw himself as a stranger in a strange land. He was unfamiliar. He did not fit in the culture. He was an alien. He held to a different moral, philosophical, epistemological, theological view that was not popular in Babylon. He believed differently in who man was, how man is meant to relate to other human beings, his place in the cosmos and who God is. And this caused him problems. Let's read what it says in the New Testament. Paul writes to Timothy, a Jesus follower. He says, hey, in fact, everybody, by the way, are you part of everybody? I think you are. All of us are. Everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evildoers and imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 
It makes me think of this old country music song by Lynn Anderson. She sings, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. God never promised us that we would be at home in this world, at home in this culture. Have there been times when the culture seems to overlap with God's precepts, God's truth? Sure. You could look at the history of our nation. Our, our nation was not necessarily founded by a bunch of Jesus followers, but there were some in there. And there's lots of things about our nation that were set up on a biblical context. But over time, you know, if this is God and his truth, if this is God and his truth, our culture has gone from close to it and then away from it and maybe a little close and then further away and further away and further away. And we live in what, we're, what, uh, what theologians would call a post Christian world, meaning that maybe 30, 40 years ago, we would have in common with the world this Judeo-Christian idea, which is now foreign. We are after that time. And increasingly, we as Jesus followers are becoming more and more like aliens and strangers in this land. First Peter 2, 11 says this, dear friends, I urge you to catch this phrase, as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. It says in the book of Deuteronomy, and Peter also calls us this, we are a peculiar people. Isn't that a great phrase? We are a peculiar people. So how do we respond to this? Jeremiah 29, seven says this, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile, where we are today, Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Isn't that beautiful? We don't just go running for the hills, but in the midst of where God has placed us in this culture today in 2020, we pray for the world around us, seeking that we could possibly prosper even in the midst of this. And that's the kind of thing that Daniel did. One of my favorite Jesus following singers was an old guy named Rich Mullins and he sang this song called Land of My Sojourn. And I love this, the way he puts this, this describes the conflict a lot of us feel. Nobody tells you when you get born here how much you'll come to love it and how you'll never belong here. So yeah, I'll call you my country, but I'll be lonely for my home. And I wish I could take you there with me but I will sing my song in the land of my sojourn, not the land of my home, the land that I am passing through. Are you looking at your life in the midst of this culture and going, something's wrong, I don't fit in? Can I offer you this piece of advice? Own that. You're darn tootin' you don't belong here. That's what the Hebrew says. You're darn tootin' you don't belong here. We shouldn't belong here. We are strangers. We are hoping for a better place, it says in scripture, where the architect and builder is God. So let me ask you, do you see yourself as a stranger in this world? Second, we are rulers. We are Rulers. Daniel ruled, we see in Daniel 1, what he could rule. What was Daniel in charge of? Himself. He couldn't rule the nation of Babylon. He wasn't in charge of a bunch of things at that time, but he was in control over what he ate. He was challenged to eat the king's meat and the wine and all this, and he said, I'm not doing it. He was in charge of what he was in charge of. Now, let me pause here for a minute. And let's talk about other people and how they rule for a moment. 
Psalm 27 says this, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Can I alter that a bit and say some trust in politicians, some trust in government, but we ultimately trust in the name of the Lord our God. I'm gonna take us to the woodshed for a moment and I'm gonna be first in line to get the SWAT. Can I just admit that? That here's the deal. I, and maybe you, especially lately, have spent more time and energy focused on how other people rule than how I rule. Do you spend more time and energy focused on, well, they did this, and they shouldn't have done this, and that guy, I can't believe he does this and that. We get it. But are we spending more time and energy focused on those people and how they rule what they have authority over than us and how we rule over the authority we have. By the way, let me just say this parenthetically, I'm gonna step on a bunch of toes here. If you have a problem with the rulers over you, I strongly encourage you to read Romans 13 and then you decide how to respond. And this applies to whoever ends up winning the election. Romans 13, it will punch you in the teeth and hopefully you'll thank it for it. So what about us? You might be thinking, rule, I'm not president, I'm not governor, I'm not a senator. You rule some things. And let me tell you what you rule. You rule anything in which God has given you authority. You have authority over your body. You have authority over the things that you do, the things you choose to do. You have authority in your family. You have authority in your home. You have authority in your relationship. You have authority in your work. You have little kingdom right in front of you. And yet we spend so much time and energy going, look at the way they rule. No, no, no. God wants us to go, you rule right now, buddy. You rule right now. How are you ruling over what I've given you right in front of you? This is vitally important. This struck me the other day. My wife was talking about some little kid who came over and she just walked right into our house and started doing a bunch of nonsense in the house. It was some neighbor kid. And my wife's going, okay, I wanna be open and welcoming to people, but why does this drive me nuts? And I thought about it I thought, I know why. It's because God has given us authority over our home. This is our little kingdom and we're meant to rule it. And we're not gonna let some little kid come in and start to dictate things. We have authority here. And that doesn't mean we're rude to this kid. We want her to come in and get a cookie and feel loved and cared for. But we are the ones who rule our little home. How are you doing ruling your little area? That's what God wants us focused on. Not so much all the other stuff. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11 through 12. I have been sitting on this idea for a while now. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Live a quiet life. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. We in this day and age are so tempted to look outside of what we rule to how other people are ruling and the things that are beyond our pay grade. Are there things beyond your pay grade that God has not given you access to? 
own that and go, he has given me access to this and I need to focus on this. By the way, I have noticed this trend. You will become more miserable and depressed if you over-focus on or obsess on things that are outside the authority God has given you, period. Do you see yourself as a ruler? Well, we're gonna read some of Daniel 2 right now as we keep going. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. He had all these crazy dreams and he wanted to know, what do these dreams mean? So he brought in these astrologers, these enchanters, these sorcerers, all these magicians and he said, tell me what my dream means. And you know what these people said? Well, tell us what your dream is. And we get in this moment, Nebuchadnezzar, who is like modern man, who is at the end of his rope, because he looks at them and basically goes, y'all are full of, woohoo! I don't believe you. Because if I tell you my dreams, you'll just make up something. You'll go, oh, well, it means this, this, and this. If y'all are worth your salt, you can tell me what the dream is without me telling you what the dream is. Well, they, of course, lose their minds. Who could possibly do that? That is completely impossible. And they say this great line, no one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among men in literature that's called foreshadowing. <laughs> and so the king is furious and he says, I'm gonna kill all of you. Well, that includes Daniel and his buddies. They're in that group. And so Daniel says, we gotta figure something out. Daniel goes back to his buddies and sits with them, with Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael. And he says, what are we gonna do? It says, he returned to their house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they pled for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so they would not be executed. Number three is this, we are not alone. Daniel was not alone in Babylon. He had his guys, he had his running buddies. He was tethered to men who believed what he believed and he was reliant on them. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament says this in chapter 12, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. He says that we are surrounded by other Jesus followers. And not only that, but he says there is this cloud of witnesses, Moses, Abraham, Isaiah, all these people who testified to the goodness of God that are surrounding us. I wasn't a huge fan of this last Star Wars movie, but I really liked this one moment. At the very end, Ray has almost lost all hope. And what does she hear? She hears the disembodied voices of past Jedi encouraging her to continue to fight. And we, as Jesus followers in our Babylon, we are surrounded by a cloud, a long history of Jesus followers urging us on. And we also need humans in our lives right there, present with us, talking with us. We need people who know our real identity, who we are in God, to encourage us to stand up in the midst of Babylon. 
I know that I have my guys. I have guys I talk to often. And I talk to them about the world and the culture, not so I can just go, hey, isn't this place awful and become old? Oh, in my day, we didn't do these things. It's about let's look at culture, look in the world, and then go, how should we then live? How do I thrive in the midst of this? How do I pray for people? How do I live out my godly calling even in the midst of this? How do I respond? Do you have your people? Join a group, join a simple church group, get surrounded by people. If you say I'm alone, there's a problem. There's a problem. Well, let's keep going. So Daniel is with his buddies. They pray to God. And you know what? It says in verse 19 of chapter two, during the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. So what did Daniel do? I love this. Daniel praised the God of heaven and said this, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. Catch this, 2020. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, O God. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what, was, what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Number four is this. We are worshipers. We are worshipers of the one true God. That is really one of the most core bits of our identity is that we are worshipers of the one true God. What does that look like? I think it's twofold primarily. One, we're grateful. In a world that takes for granted the rain, that takes for granted the sunshine and just goes, well, it's cosmic forces at work. It's just determinism. Somehow things were set in motion and it just happened this way. We are people who bow our heads and look at that sandwich on the plate and say, this sandwich came from God Almighty. That we're grateful for the air we breathe. We're grateful to live in Colorado. We're grateful for health. We're grateful for our family. We're grateful for Jesus. We're grateful for the good things we have. That's one part. And I think the second part is this. We declare in our hearts and in our homes and in those places where we have authority, we declare God's providence. He is in control. I don't always understand that, but I have to remind myself this world is not running out of control. God is somehow actually in control. It means that I do not worship humanity and all the great solutions humanity might come up with. I worship God. And if he wants to use a human to do something good, so be it. But I will always come back to him and his goodness and not praise this person who did this wonderful thing. Praise this system that did this wonderful thing. I don't trust in those things enough. I am meant to worship God, to be grateful, and to call him good, even in the midst of trial, and to recognize that he has providence over all things. Do you see yourself as a worshiper? 
So let's go back to Daniel. He's got the vision. He goes to the king. And so we're gonna pick it up in, in verse 24 of chapter two. Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon and said to him, don't execute the wise men of Babylon, including me. Take me to the king. I'll interpret the dream for him. So this guy took Daniel to the king at once and said, I found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? He's thinking, anyone can interpret, but can you tell me what I saw? And Daniel said, oh, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he was asked about, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, amen? There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. And then he proceeds to tell in the rest of the chapter what the dream was and what the dream meant. And we see in this, in our fifth thing, which is we are wise. We are wise. Daniel, because of God, had an answer for modern man, for that modern man who was at the end of his rope, who was exhausted by the lies surrounded by him. He had finally come to the end of himself, come to the end of his resources and said, I don't have answers. I need an answer. I can't get an answer. And Daniel said, God has answers. God has answers. God has answers. And God doesn't just have the answer to what your dream was and what it meant. God has answers to the eternal, big, infinite, metaphysical questions that all of us have. We have to be humans who are not arrogant, but who believe that we know the answers. Do you know that? Well, I know we have such a, a, a weird humility gag reflex that, well, no, no, no. I, I mean, maybe God's the right way, maybe not. That's a modern idea. It's a postmodern idea, actually. And it says there's no objective truth. Who could possibly know what's true for you may not be true for me, but hey, let's all have a party. Everything's gonna be fine. That's not what we see in scriptures. What we see in scriptures is that we are called to know God and to be able to express that to other people, to have that wisdom within us and to know, here's the thing, guys, this isn't about us and our arrogance. It's about God has given us the answer to life. Do you believe that in Jesus, God has given you the answer to what is the meaning of life? We're meant to follow God, worship him, receive salvation from Jesus. That's what we're meant to do. And when we come into contact with humans in the culture who are at the end of their rope going, I don't have any answers. I'm lost. I don't have any answers. Are you at the ready? First Peter 3, 15 through 16. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Catch this. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do it with gentleness. I love this. Do it with gentleness and respect. I need this for me right now. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander, meaning have the right answer and communicate it out of love and kindness. Acts 4, 19 through 20. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, 
We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Are you so enraptured by God and his love for you through Jesus that when you see someone who's at the end of their rope, who looks at the world and the culture, maybe politics, humanism, whatever it is, and goes, this isn't working, are you there at the ready to go, I think I might know what you need to know? Not in arrogance, but in firm belief that God has shown to you the way of life. This means we live as wise men and women. Well, finally, number six is this. We are brave. We are meant to be brave. We are not meant to be overcome by worry and anxiety in the midst of Babylon as Babylon continues to create these seismic disruptions. John 14, one, Jesus says, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. I know you want to be worried. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And then in John 16, 33, Jesus says, look, I've told you these things so that in me, you can have peace. I promise you in this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Take heart, be at peace. This is the word of God for us today, especially here in November of 2020, be at peace. Be at peace, be at peace. And when we're at peace, we are so much more likely to be brave, to be courageous. That does not mean we're so brave we start ranting and raving at the culture. No, it means we stand firm. We hold on to the things that we rule over. And though it cost us greatly, we hold to what is true. We eventually see this with Daniel and his buddies we see it, Daniel holding to what's true and being brave, thrown in the lion's den. We see Daniel's buddies thrown into the flaming furnace. We stand firm and be brave in the midst of chaos. Do you see yourself as brave? I like Daniel. Daniel tells me how I'm meant to live in a world gone crazy, in a world gone mad. It reminds me I am meant to see myself as a stranger. I am traveling through here. It reminds me that I do rule over some things. I am meant to rule over the things God has given me. And the things above my pay grade, I don't have to worry about those things. I am not alone. I am meant to be surrounded by other believers who help me Hold on to what is right and true. I am meant to be a worshiper in, the, in, a, in a world that worships humans and worships what humanity can accomplish. I'm meant to be someone who says, God, this is you. I'm grateful to you. You are providential. You have things under control. I am meant to have, be wise, holding on to the answers of life, ready to share them with those who are ready to hear. And I'm meant to be brave. I'm meant to hold to God. I thought about this today. I've got a, my wedding ring is made of tungsten and real tungsten, unalloyed tungsten. If you drop it into a smelting pit uh, full of just the hottest material possible, you know what happens to that tungsten? Not a thing. You have to get tungsten heated up to over 6,000 degrees Fahrenheit to make it break down. Daniel was tungsten 
I'm meant to be tungsten. You're meant to be tungsten. In the world of fire and chaos, this is who we're meant to be. I'll finish with this. This is Romans 12, one through two in the Passion Translation. Paul writes this, and I want you to hear this for you. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be his sacred living sacrifices and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and the opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for Daniel. I thank you for all the things we can learn from him. I pray for our nation that there would be peace. I pray that more and more uh, our leaders would follow you in your ways. And I pray that more and more we would follow you in your ways. Thank you for all that you offer us in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a world gone mad. We bless you that you have given us the answers of life. Help us to hold to them fast and to worship you because of them. In Jesus' name, amen. In light of everything going on today, community is more important than ever. And so we would encourage you to get more and more involved, maybe in a small group, a simple church group here at Restoration, and also to give to the work that's going on here. Uh, If you wanna do either of those things, check out the Restoration app or go to the Restoration website.